everyone. Welcome to the Gaily Podcast. I'm Robin, your Gaily host. And I'm Alex, your Gaily producer and co-host. It's back to school time and we have lined up the 2018 Glisten Educator of the Year for this podcast. It's Stephanie Byers of Wichita, Kansas. Stephanie is running for the open seat of the 86th District of the Kansas House of Representatives, and she very well could win, making history in Kansas as the first openly transgender Kansan to hold public office. So let's get to it. You were an educator I read for over 30 years, and I want to mention you were GLAD's 2018 National Teacher of the Year, which is pretty awesome. So I know you have a passion for expanding Medicaid and funding public education. Tell us about why those are some of your platform issues and how can you make those hot ticket items a reality in Kansas? Well, um, you know, uh, it was GLSEN that took me in and, you know, I was nominated as an educator of the year and accepted for that in 2018. And then it opened up a lot of doorways for me to be able to speak out about things that um, are near and dear to my heart. Like you said, I taught for 32 years and I've taught in a variety of different environments. Um, from rural schools, suburban schools, but I've spent 29 of my years here in Wichita, 28 at Wichita High School North, which is a very diverse ethnically school, um, yeah. and near and dear to my heart. One of the things that we noticed in Kansas, especially over the years, is that anytime that we start facing budgetary difficulties, one of the first places that gets looked at are public school funding and uh, looking at the cuts and stuff that can take place there. Oftentimes, those people that are making those decisions, people who sit in our state houses and our state, state legislators, they're not educators. They're people that look at the bottom line. They look at the, at the numbers and they think, well, this is what we do. I, I began to realize that we needed a voice that came from the education circles that would stand there and say, this is how that cut makes an impact in the classroom. This is when you know, those dollars, this is how it affects that student. This is how it affects that student's family. Not to mention the, the educators who are a vital part of the Kansas economy. What we do in those decisions we make doesn't just impact a number on a line item, it impacts people and it impacts actual human beings in the way that they learn. Oh, so true. So we've got coronavirus everywhere. So talk about students returning to school with the current status of the virus in Kansas and in the nation. You know, I think that Dr. Burks probably said it best when she was here not too long ago about the fact that a lot of people think this is just an urban virus, but it's also a rural virus. And where we've had pretty good luck keeping things down around here, one of the reasons may have been because kids weren't back in school after spring break. And we're now getting ready to move them into these, these concentrated spaces. And you know, it's easy to sit down and say, well, let's just put them all six feet apart. But in a normal classroom with 32, 33 kids, and the room's only 30 feet by 30 feet, you're not gonna have six feet apart. And so telling them to put masks on and requiring all the things that we do that go contrary maybe to our human nature, Kids are going to come into school, like here in Wichita, our school board voted to wait until after Labor Day to start up. Teachers are already in, and with teachers already in, we've already had six schools with confirmed COVID cases and no students yet. Um, and so what happens then when those kids start walking through the door and kids being kids, not seeing each other for a long time, wanting to be close, wanting to talk to each other, wanting to hug, and we start unleashing something that we're not really certain how we're going to deal with it. And I think that's important. Our governor has made a lot of strong statements about what we need to do. We look to our health officers and ask them what we need to do. We look to science and say, what do we need to do? But the pressure is that we've got to get kids into school. And you know, no matter what happens, kids in school or out of school, it's not going to be the same school environment they ever had before because of all these extra precautions that have to be taken place. 
Okay. So in Kansas, um, do you think there will ever be a statewide mask mandate? There is a statewide mask mandate, but because of the way our legislature voted um, to put a law in place that kind of restricted what Governor Kelly could do, that, that mask mandate is more of a suggestion, and then it goes out to the various counties. And the county commissions then decide whether or not they want to mandate or not. Some of the county commissions said, yes, we want to. And other county commissions said, well, we don't know. Maybe we'll just suggest it. And then in some cases, townships and cities then mandated um, that those mask mandates. But, you know, it kind of looks at how is the virus impacting that geographic area right now and those decisions that have to be made. The sad thing is I don't think people anticipate they, they react and they don't realize that they're reacting to something that took place two weeks ago. Someone's mm. been exposed to the virus. It's been two weeks developing before we begin to see what's actually happening out on the streets. Not true. And then I want to go back to um, just uh, LGBT children in school. And I want to talk about how, as a trans woman, have you been able to be there for your LGBT students in the classroom? One of the things that happens for, I think, pretty much anybody in the human condition is you begin to look for people that are like you, because that's where you can say, I, I know that I need some guidance. I know that I'm going to have to walk a pathway. Who's walking that path now? Where can I go? And having a teacher that is openly LGBT allows that student to go, well, there's at least one adult that I see that's successful in my life, that has an impact on my life, that, that maybe that's a way that I can take those steps and keep moving. And it gives them a positive feeling that you know, they're, they're, they're going to be somebody. And we know that there are a lot of households that are very supportive and very affirming of their, their kids as the kids come out. Um, and identify along whichever letters they do, but there are also some that don't. And for those kids that are not in those supportive homes, having a teacher that they can sit down, even if they don't open up and say I am, but having a teacher that can be a, a, an example for them gives them some hope. Mm -hmm. Especially during COVID-19, those LGBTQ plus students who are now kind of at home or forced to stay at home and that are not in the most like best environment, what advice would you give to them just to kind of stay strong? You know, um, you know who you are, remain true to who you are, uh, realize that, you know, sometimes our, our, the people that love us the most don't seem to understand how they have to work with us and to have patience with those people, um, to cling to, to your own truths and, you know, to find safe places to reach out where you've got some contact with someone that, that you can, you know, open up with and hang on to. Because um, it's so much better to make it push it on through and we need you here on this planet. We don't want to have to to say goodbye to you. Very good. So uh, you could become the first transgender lawmaker in the state of Kansas. And that's real history. So if you win, you're going to have some colleagues who've never as much as spoken to a transgender person, let alone worked with them. Talk about how you're going to be able to show these folks you're just a woman who cares about the citizens of Kansas and you want to make their lives better. Well, and I think that's one of the things when, when I looked at running, you know, one of the first things that I talked with some of my advisors about is, you know, do we lead with the fact that I'm trans or is that just an, an, you know, a matter of fact thing? And mm -hmm. one of the first things we did, which is simply do a, do a Google search for my name. And the first thing that pops up is transgender teacher and it comes over and over and over again. So if anybody does even a cursory look at me, they'll understand who I am from those things. 
And then it's a matter of me going and saying to them, but these are other issues that we deal with. This is not just about me being trans or me being LGBTQ. This is about what happens to the people of Kansas House District 86. How does the social safety net that we put in place for when you lose your job, how is that functioning? How is that working for those people? Um, how about those people that, that find themselves in the bubble and they, they make too much money to qualify for subsidies under the Affordable Care Act, but not enough to be able to afford, to afford their own insurance? How do we expand Medicaid to reach out to those people? Because even though those intersect with who I am, you know, those are also issues that impact people who are outside my, my LGBTQ community. Yeah. And I think it's important to do that. Um, it, it's, it's conjecture. It's an interesting thing. Uh, but um, Dr. Barbara Bollier, who is running for U.S. Senate as a Democrat from Kansas, one of the things that she talked about was her party's decision when she was a Republican back in 2018, when they decided to basically uh, oppose affirming any type of transgender identity and how that was one of the leading factors that caused her to say, I'm no longer a Republican, I'm going to run Democrat. Wow. Interesting thing was, is that right after the Republican Party had come up with that, that platform in February 2018, I was at... Uh, an equality day there in the state house and was working with a, a young person who was going to go, was going scheduled to talk to Dr. Bolli, Dr. Bollier, but was very nervous. And so we went in together and we talked about the impact that these decisions had on trans people. And she pulled down medical books and began to explain to us about how there's all these variations on the human and gender identity that her colleagues didn't seem to get. And I can't say that we put the idea in her head that maybe she needed to consider changing parties, but coincidentally, it all kind of comes down in the same time frame. Wow. So it has an impact. So you're trans, that's out there, but there are big ticket items like criminal justice reform, taxes, budgets, wage, you know, all those things, uh, which are really the job you're applying for to, you know, help take care of. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me how your professional career and your activism that you've done prepared you for the job of making these decisions on these hot ticket items. A lot of what I have to do, and um, I, I worked as a school teacher for 32 years, but that was as a band and orchestra director. And you don't have a textbook that's handed to you that you use. You develop your text based upon the people you work with. You create those assignments, you know, over and over again. As a state legislature, you know, you're dealing with all these numbers, these facts, these figures, these, these laws and things like that. It's your job then to study them, look through them, figure out a pathway forward through it. And it may, there's not like a textbook that says, here's what we have to do. Um, and so being able to actively think on my feet, to be able to look at things and, and to add the, the what ifs. You know, what if we do this? How can we do this? Not why we can't, but how can we? What can we do to best benefit the people that we serve? Um, those are the areas that I think that we need to focus and look on. You know, and whether it's looking at, at our tax revenue situation, where you know, in Kansas, we've talked about the three-legged stool where we're balancing our income tax with our property tax and with our business taxes to try to provide solid funding. We forget sometimes that when we shift one leg one way, someplace else takes it up. How can we balance that back out so that it covers all the needs we have as a state, but also best supports all of the people that we have as our constituents? Your constituents are very important. Tell me, what is your favorite thing about the people of Kansas? You know, people of Kansas are, um, they're, they're polite. Uh, they're, they're, we, we, we sometimes refer to it as Midwest polite, they're polite to you face to face. They'll take the time to listen. Um, oftentimes it, they think, you know, and it kind of percolates a little bit before it comes out. 
um, but you know they they uh, they look at things optimistically in many respects. Um, you know, and how when when we start talking about how we can do things better, they they have questions. They are serious about it. Well, what is this? What are we? How do we do this? How does this impact me? Um, but um, I think that they're they're open to learning. They're open to looking at, at outside the box and seeing what like, we can do to make things better for everybody. That's great. Now, something kind of off the topic, but I really want you to talk to our audience about the U.S. Library of Congress is archiving your campaign website into their LGBTQI politics archive. How did this come about and how exciting is that? That was probably, well, <laughs> after the primary, there were so many huge surprises. Um, the first thing was the Wednesday morning after the primary waking up and, and finding there was an article in the Washington Post about me on the front page. And I had not interviewed for that article or anything. Uh, the, the author had pulled all this information from other interviews that I had given and wrote this great article. Um, and it just, one thing after another, I did four or five interviews with national publications that week. And then one morning I get up and I've got an email that was just from the Library of Congress that says, we find that uh, your, your um, website, we need to archive it because it's going to be historically significant as we look at our LGBTQI plus politics archive and we want to make sure that there's a record of everything there and we just want to let you know that we're we're putting all your information out there and we're going to save it so um i don't know of other um, lgbt politicians that have had this experience uh there may be others but to me it was very profound because you know um somewhere i'm stuck in a little piece of history that you know who knows where it's going to come out again in the future so you've talked about legislation and some of the literature on your website, et cetera, uh, le uh, legislation that will guarantee protection for, from discrimination for uh, the Kansas LGBTQ community. What kind of bills or have you really thought through what you'll introduce to make this a reality for the queer community there in Kansas? The last several years, um, the last three years or so, uh, Susan Ruiz and Brandon Woodard have introduced legislation to amend the Kansas Act Against Discrimination. It's a very well-written uh, Equality Act, except it does not include gender identity or sexual orientation as part of it. And so what we're looking to do is join in with those people if, as they're being reelected um, to open that back up and get those things committed into it. It's easy to think that we've achieved that with, this, with the recent Supreme Court decision uh, that refers to that on the, the clause on the basis of sex does include people uh, you know, who are part of the LGBT community, that your sexuality and your gender identity is a part of that. But that covers workplace discrimination and only with you know, people that answer to the Equal Employment Opportunities Commission, so businesses of 40 or larger. And how many businesses in Kansas or in any state have less than 40 people in them? You know, a real estate office with 20, with 20 people or a funeral home only has 16 people. So the Kansas Act Against Discrimination covers people in businesses with four or more employees. So if we can get those things changed, we can add that. Not only that, but also just general accommodations. You know, in Kansas, as a trans woman, I can walk into a restaurant and someone can tell me, I'm not going to serve you just because you're trans. And that's completely legal. There's, there is nothing there to stop them from it. And so being able to, to get this protection in there for accommodations so that, you know, we can get the services that we need, whether it, it be, um, you know, just, just general businesses, or if it's, you know, renting a house or, you know, checking into a hotel, all of those things can be there and covered to protect us so that we're not just being pushed out as if we aren't actual citizens of this country. 
very good. One thing first I want you to do is tell our audience about the three awards there you've got behind you or to your left, I guess. Um, well, they, they are all interconnected. Um, so that, uh, and, and we'll go with the order that, <laughs> that they are. Uh, this one right here, this is the Respect Award from GLSEN, uh, the national organization. Uh, in 2018, I was the GLSEN National Educator of the Year. Uh, they flew me up to New York City for a red carpet affair. Um, got to speak on that and received this award from them. Um, my administrator at North High School had nominated me. We filled out a lot of different paperwork. He, he had wrote a beautiful essay about me. And then they contacted me and said, you know, we need to have you write some things. And I did. And they, then they said, now we have to do a face-to-face a, a -face interview or a Zoom interview which we did and um, they selected me out of, I don't know, 121, 122 different, different educators um, for that award. And I had already been active with Gliss in Kansas. And so then at the end of 2000, this happened in May of 2018, at the end of 2018, Gliss in Kansas did this one um, and presented me with the Gliss and State Educator of the Year Award um, based upon those things. And these two awards, um, I had a long-term relationship that's gone for, I don't know how long, between Lynn and Chris Rogers and myself. All three of their kids were in my band. Um, so I've known, I knew Lynn when he was on the Wichita School Board. I've known Lynn and Chris as, as band parents. Um, and then when Lynn was in our Kansas State Senate, uh, given the, the national recognition of this, he put in for a tribute from the Kansas State Senate. And so that's what this one is up here. Uh, a tribute from the Kansas State Senate, it, just to say congratulations on receiving the Glisson National Educator of the Year Award. That's amazing. And just for people that don't know, Lynn is now the Lieutenant Governor, the governor. Mm -hmm. of, of the state of Kansas. Okay, my last question. You're actually from Oklahoma. Yes. And you're a Chickasaw. Yes. Uh, but you've lived in Kansas now for a while. Do you identify more as a Kansan or an Oklahoman and why? <laughs> That's a loaded <laughs> question. Yeah. Um, from Kansas, I'm from Kansas and I live in Oklahoma. So let's see what you've got. So uh, if you had asked me, I don't know, 15 years ago, I would have told you I was, I was a displaced Oklahoman. Um, huh. And because my family ties were very strong there. But, um, you know, I've grown here in Kansas more. I moved to Kansas when I was 27 years old and I'm 57 <laughs> now. So, you know, this, this is my home. This is, the, this is where I feel comfortable with. This is the people that I understand. And there are differences, as you know, between Kansas and Oklahoma, as close as we are. There's differences in the cultures of people. There's differences in the way they approach things. Um, and, you know, I, I like the feel of Kansas better. Oklahoma, um, I grew up in Norman. And so I was there at the University of Oklahoma. Uh, that's not where I went to school, but that is where, you know, I spent most spent my, all my time until I was 19, and then I moved to Edmond, Oklahoma. And then by the time I was 26, I was living or 25, I was living in Colorado, and then I lived in Arizona, and then I came here. So I, I've had a chance to get to know people from all around the country, and um, the the sunshine nature of Kansas is just really what what appeals the most to me. Yeah. I am so inspired by Stephanie Byers to be so open and out there living authentically, but she knows that job she's going to be hired for is about the citizens of Kansas. You know, I've known her for several years now, and I'm excited that the national news has picked up on this and they're sharing the, the word about her great work there in Kansas.
Now, how about hearing our audience's input on a few things? How do you think Kansas citizens will accept a transgender lawmaker? Kansas currently has no accepted Medicaid expansion. Do you think with legislators like Stephanie pushing for it and a Democrat governor, could that issue become a reality in Kansas? Have you registered to vote and requested an absentee ballot? You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Once again, I'm Alex. And I'm Robin. And you've just watched another episode of the Gailey Podcast.